we turn in Holy Scripture this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. Where we begin reading at verse 22. We read Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. This morning I call attention to verse 23 of Ephesians 5. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. A few weeks ago, also on the occasion of baptism, I called attention to the calling of the wife. Verses 22 and 24 especially, the Christian wife's submission we saw that this section begins a treatment of relationships amongst Christians. And the chapter head of this section in Ephesians might be called walking together in humble submission to God. We show our thankfulness to God in all things by submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And in this section, as well as the first nine verses of Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle spells out the way for us to live in proper relationships one to another, beginning with the most intimate relationship of all, holy marriage. What an amazingly precious and beautiful relationship is holy marriage the reflection of the very covenant life and intimate communion between
Christ and his church. A great mystery, as we read in verse 32. But because of that intimacy of the marriage relationship and all the problems and tensions that can arise when two sinful persons live in such close relationship to one another, the Lord mercifully gives us careful instruction as to how to live in that relationship. This is the way of his blessing. Another, any other way is the way of much difficulty and many sorrows. So, we want to look at the instruction of our Lord in this connection and see the calling that he's given us. Knowing that this calling is for our blessing. The last time we looked at this passage, we considered the calling of the wife in that relationship. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then in verse 24, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That's the chief calling of a godly wife. The very creation of the woman and the divine institution of marriage was God giving the woman to and for her husband. And in such submission, the the wife has her own peculiar position full of honor and glory, reflecting a particular aspect of God's perfect work. And now, to review just briefly, we saw that such submission is a voluntary act of the will. The term means quite literally to place oneself under. It's the act of a God-fearing wife, the work of Christ in her, in which she becomes the willing complement to her husband. She helps him serve as God's representative in the world. And then we also saw that that submission of the wife is rooted in love. And that love, therefore, is not merely a warm feeling and an affection or infatuation. It's the work of God's grace in our lives. The fruit of the life of Christ in us nothing less. And it's only that love of Christ in you that will prove the genuineness of you wives' submission to your husband. Only then will you also love your husband and live in submission to him. In addition, we saw that the submission of the wife is amazingly broad. The requirement of verse 24, therefore as the church is subject unto Christ, we're to be subject to Christ in everything, aren't we? No exceptions there, are there? 
so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That everything, as we saw last time, is certainly qualified by Scripture itself. But the point is that the wife must go to the limit, to the extreme, in submitting herself to her husband for Christ's sake. She does so as unto the Lord. That's the fountain of her life in submission to her husband. She lives this way in love for Christ and in thankfulness for what the Lord has done for her. But this submission is also required because God has so ordained that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And that brings us to the great truth that we consider this morning, The man, as a husband, must also be one who lives in submission. As husbands, we must submit to God. And as must our wives, but our submission to the Lord is shown in a different way. As a husband, I am to show that submission by living as a faithful head to my wife, and as one who loves my wife, even as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. So we stand today before the truth of the headship of the husband. And may God give us grace to hear and to walk in submission to his word. We consider, first of all, the amazing figure set forth in this text. Secondly, the profound example And finally, the only possibility of fulfilling that calling of headship. When the text states that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, sets before us an amazing figure. Man as head is an amazing figure in that it sets forth the dignity of the man in the place God has given him in the relationship of holy marriage. A head directs the body in all its action. A head sees to the direction, provision, and protection of the body. The husband is the head of the wife. That word is does not simply mean that that this is the husband's dignity in the traditional first century home during Paul's time, as if this truth is bound to the culture of that particular day and has lost its application today that the husband is the head of the wife, doesn't even point us chiefly to the fact that this is the way it should be. Not ought to be. Not maybe if he has the consent of his wife. But Paul's clear intention is to say that the husband is the head of the wife. 
in the very purpose of God. In other words, this is the way God planned the relationship between husband and wife. This is how he created and instituted holy marriage. God has given the husband the place of authority, of leadership in creation, in the home, and over his wife. Not only was man created first and made the earthly Lord of creation, authority was given to man to exercise dominion. He was put in a position of leadership, of lordship. His was a position of authority. He was to make the decisions to lead, to rule. That's the place of man's dignity, given him by God himself from the very beginning. This was the God-given place to man as friend-servant of the living God. No greater position could man occupy than what God gave him. And that's true also in the relationship of marriage which God gave him. And while it is true that the fall into sin brought devastating consequences and effects to the exercise of man's rule, it did not change the position of man, nor his calling. He is to be the head of his wife, and the head of his family. God made him thus. And God made the woman the complement to the man, as we saw last time. That's also her dignity. Her main function is to make up a deficiency in the man. That's why the, the two are made one flesh. But then as one flesh... The husband is the head who is responsible not only for himself, but for his wife and family, and that in all things. And the wife continues to be his necessary helper, his associate to support and assist him in his labors in the position God has given him. Again, while sin had devastating effects upon this relationship, effects which are only resolved and healed by the redemption of Christ and the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, nonetheless, the relationship remains as God created it. Genesis 3 verse 16 establishes that fact, even while looking at the effects of the fall. When God said to the woman, Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee, he's not only, he was not only reiterating the, the position of man's headship, he was underscoring it. And that was necessary too. Because Eve, instead of consulting with her husband when the devil came to her in the serpent, took the decision upon herself. Instead of talking it over with Adam, she dealt with the situation on her own, placing herself in a position of leadership. And in doing so, she involved her husband in the fall also, 
bringing chaos and calamity to their marriage and to the children which God would give them. So God, I say, underlines the authority of the man as the head of the home, and that's emphasized throughout Scripture. The Genesis account of creation and the institution of the marriage bond is repeatedly referred to, if not explicitly, then implicitly in Holy Scripture. It's because she laid hold of that truth by faith that Sarah referred to Abraham as her Lord, even as is referred to by Peter in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7, when he gives instruction to godly wives and calls husbands to their godly walk as husbands. Paul teaches the same in 1 Corinthians 11, when he writes in verse 3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And as he goes on expounding that truth, he points us back to creation, saying in verses 8 and 9, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. The same principle stands as the basis for Paul's inspired instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, or 1 Timothy 2, verses 12 and 13, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. There are those women, as you are well aware, who cannot receive this teaching of Scripture. This amazing figure is found unacceptable. And there are men enamored with the philosophies of feminism who think they are defending the dignity of woman by denying this truth of Scripture. There are those members of the Christian church who say that this text in Ephesians 5, as well as those in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy 2, they are simply the views of an apostle who was clearly anti-feminine. He was a bachelor who would keep women in the suppressed state that was common in the culture of that time. And they would say, you know, even among the Jews of that day, women were but objects. And the apostle was of the same mentality. So runs the argument. And so they take the position that what Paul wrote has no application to us today. The phenomenal change in the past century in our country and in the West, in much of the world, is received without critical thought, without putting it to the examination of Holy Scripture. 
A woman may run the household with equal authority as the husband, if not having the final say herself, and so on. They share the same roles in today's culture, turning the other way from the teachings of the Bible, all because Paul's writings don't apply to us today. And when I point to the woman's usurping the authority of the husband, his God-appointed position of headship, of leadership, I don't mean to imply it's primarily the fault of the women who walk that way. Quite frankly, it's most often the fault of the men not exercising their God-given headship, and not giving proper loving and spiritual leadership. Let's understand the teachings, the position of those who would reject these teachings as mere teachings of a male chauvinist is not Christian at all. The Christian submits entirely to biblical revelation, knowing it not as the mere writings of men, but as the inspired Word of God. What the Holy Spirit has to say to the churches. And if we examine the Bible carefully, we find that while it's true, the view of women was generally debased in society at that time, the Apostle Paul had an exalted view of women. There is no man who in numerous passages spoke more gloriously or with greater appreciation for the woman. He spoke of her irreplaceable role in marriage, in the church. He spoke of her equality in in salvation. He practiced what he preached in spiritual care for women in many different places and circumstances. And he never set forth the divine calling of the wife without also calling attention to the duties of the husband. That was the apostle. While the world generally made the woman a lesser class, the apostle showed the church repeatedly that the Christian man's view of womanhood is more exalted than the world had ever known. Because Christianity takes everything and puts it in its right place. The place of the woman, the place of the wife, is redeemed by Christ and restored to its proper glory within its proper role. But notice also that the apostle doesn't set forth these things 
merely as matters of his own opinion. He always goes back to the truth of God already set forth. In effect, he says, look, this isn't my opinion. This is what God has laid down for you from the very beginning of time. That truth of God must not only be known, it must be constantly brought into practice. And if not, don't tell me your arguments with me, says the apostle, your arguments with God, with the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, while claiming the name Christian, you're putting yourself into the position of saying, the Bible applies to me only as long as it doesn't contradict what I want. That's the height of sinful pride. Exalting self and our own desires above the demands of the living God. But more, as the text makes clear, you can start denying the headship of the husband only when Christ ceases to be the head of his church. An assault upon man's headship is an assault upon Christ's headship. Christ gives the office of headship to the husband. We saw in our consideration of the wife's calling to live in submission to her husband that the wife is given a certain status in her role as a wife. She's not a slave to her husband. She's not inferior to her husband. Not for a moment. She is different. She is the complement of her husband. So that together they live to the glory of God. But this text today emphasizes that in that relationship, the husband is the head. That's his dignity. That's how he functions as God's representative. That's the amazing figure of the text. But not only does the text set before us this amazing figure, it gives us husbands a profound example for the exercise of our headship. And this example is necessary for us. The apostle, will, you'll notice, doesn't leave this concept of headship to our own determination. He will not leave it to you and to me to figure out the way in which we shall exercise our headship as husbands. He will tell us how to carry out the duties of our calling as the heads of the home. The exercise of headship, after all, is no more natural to the man than submission is to the woman. And we answer the proud rebellion of feminism not merely by shouting it down and certainly not by tyrannical force suppressing them into submission. Such an attempt would be folly but we withstand such an unbiblical attitude in one way. 
by walking in obedience to God, as God-fearing husbands, exercising headship and giving spiritual direction in our home. Headship is not a matter of serving self. Let's get that out of our heads right away. Headship is not a matter of serving self. God has given headship for the sake of the body, for the sake of the wife and family. And the example given us is that of Christ himself. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. There's a parallel between Christ's headship over the church. Not an equal, a parallel. Christ and the church, the husband and his wife. As Christ leads as the head of the church, so the husband as the head of his wife. Now there are some aspects of headship, and we'll touch on some of them momentarily, but one certainly one area in which Christ is clearly head of his church is this. He governs all aspects of the life of his church. Christ alone is head of his church. That's why Paul, in giving requirements for spiritual leaders in 1 Timothy 3, says that the man who would be a spiritual leader must be one who rules well his own house. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? 1 Timothy 3, verse 5. Notice that rule does not mean tyranny. It refers to the positive administration of the affairs of the household, taking care of his home. This example of Christ's care for and administration over his bride, always seeking her welfare, gives us guidance with many implications implications that are also spelled out in the Bible. On the foreground of this concept is the idea that the husband is to be the spiritual leader in the home. The spiritual leader. To be the head of the wife is to be her spiritual leader. Which means that you husbands are to be the prophet in the home, one who seeks to bring the truth of the Word of God to bear on every aspect of your home life. We just sang of it from Psalm 112. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments, His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. God says, you husbands are to be the instrument to bring the scriptures to bear upon your household in every aspect of its life and experience. 
what God has said. But as Christian heads in our homes, we might face sometimes, and almost certainly do, especially with our older children, we face this, well, so-and-so does this, why can't I? So-and-so is allowed to go here or there, why am I not allowed to do that? And as Christian heads of our homes, we must say, well, that's interesting, but what does that have to do with us? We don't govern this household by what the neighbors do. What does God say? What does the Word of God say with application to this? That's how we rule our household. So we provide spiritual leadership in our home. Again, that's not primarily the job of the wife. That's the responsibility of the head of the home, to be prophets to our household. Notice what will come in Ephesians 6 verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the calling of the husband and father. The calling of headship in the home, applying the word of God to the children, to their understanding. So Christ gives spiritual leadership to the church, constantly bringing his word to bear upon her. He's our chief prophet. We as fathers, following the example of Christ, are also to be the priests in our home, constantly bringing our wives and children before our Heavenly Father in prayer. That's biblical. So Job served as head of his home in Job 1, when he offered up a sacrifice every morning, praying for his family. We as fathers and husbands are to be representatives of Christ. True priests in our home. That's to follow the example of Christ, who constantly intercedes for his bride before the Father. That also belongs to the exercise of our headship. And that headship is, which is over our whole household, begins with headship over the, ho over the wife, because a home is established in a marriage. In addition, we husbands, as the heads of the home, are to be the kings in our home. Not tyrants, but kings who rule well, exercising their God-given authority by ministering the word. 
That's also to follow the example of Christ as head of his church. There's a wonderful statement about Abraham in Genesis 18, verses 16 through 19, in which God commends Abraham for a certain quality. And in verse 18, he promises of Abraham that he shall become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth be blessed in him. Now verse 19, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Notice the Lord said, I have known him that he will not suggest that he will command his household. You remember the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? And then he says, In it thou shalt not do any work thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor anyone associated with your household, indicating that the man, the husband, the father, the spirit is to be the spiritual leader, the head responsible for all the affairs of his household. The particular application there is honoring the Sabbath day. But as Christ governs us by his word and spirit, so are we to rule as husbands. But there's one other matter we must notice about this example of Christ. To follow the example of Christ is not to be a tyrant in the home. Christ rules the world by his power. He rules the church in his love and by his grace. There's a significant difference. In a nutshell, God's directive to husband is to perform those functions of headship with the same self-denying, sensitive love wherewith Christ loved his church. The godly husband does not sit in front of the television with his can of beer and his feet up on the footstool, and once in a while bark orders. And if the members of the household don't jump to his commands, he says, I'm the head of this place. You do what I tell you to do. No, no, that's not the Christian husband. The husband governs in the Lord over his wife and children. It means he's responsible as the administrator of the affairs of his household, looking in love 
for the welfare of his wife and children. He doesn't have to carry out all the the details of administering his rule. He delegates important tasks to his wife, even to his children as they get older, but he administers that particular responsibility to whomever he will, and he never is to relinquish his place as head of his wife and family. Because the moment he does, he misrepresents the most sacred relationship under heaven, that which exists between Christ and the church. We may not misrepresent Christ. It's frequently done, even in church homes. It could be done by wives, too. Wives who might claim to acknowledge that their husband is the head, but let him rule contrary to her desire, she can make his life most miserable and unhappy. It's not faithful submission to the headship of the husband, but when the husbands fail in their calling, They turn things upside down too. Well, if that's what we are to be, men, the heads of our home as Christ is the head of the church, how are we to perform our function? How are we to live in submission to God as the head of our wife and family? Man is the head, but as you well know, the fall had tragic effects upon man's headship. Then remove his role and calling. Man became corrupted. He became a tyrant. He became an abuser of the relationship of holy marriage. He became a self-seeker. And every man by nature continues such today. You and I can be pathetic husbands. Sorry figureheads. The only possibility of living godly in this relationship, the only possibility of us men living in proper relationship to our wives and families is that we live in relationship to Christ, the Redeemer of our marriages. When the Apostle writes, therefore, that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, he is speaking of the great truth of Christ having redeemed man also in his relationship. The Apostle emphasizes this truth when he says of Christ, 
in contrast to man, and he is the Savior of the body. Christ is the head of the church, but he is so in an amazing way. He is her Savior. As the Savior of the bride, he's powerfully at work in her. By the gospel he works, powerfully, irresistibly. He works to soften hard hearts, to chisel blocks of rebellious men and women into pliable persons who willingly walk in the way of his word. By the Spirit of his grace, Christ has restored man, spiritual man, the Christian man, to his proper function as head over his wife and family. So that a Christian husband may now serve his headship as the mirror image of Christ in his relationship to the church, loving leadership, seasoned with a healthy dose of tenderness. That's what characterizes the Christian husband as he's brought under the power of the gospel. Such is one to whom a Christian wife willingly submits because together they enjoy the life of one flesh, One body with the head providing, directing to the spiritual welfare of the family, of the whole. Let's lay hold of these truths, beloved. That the Christian husband exercises his headship in the home is of astounding importance. The failure to understand and implement this biblical calling is the source and cause of most problems in the home and in the world today. The fundamental problem in the world is the breakdown of authority. God's authority. And the breakdown of authority in the loss of authority or the improper exercise of authority. Wherever chaos reigns, it's due to the fact that people in whatever realm of of society have lost respect for authority. But all authority, as the fifth commandment indicates, begins with the role of the husband in the home. Earthly authority begins in the marriage relationship. And the breakdown of authority begins with the husband not understanding or rejecting his God-given calling as the head of the home into this spiritual vacuum. Feminism has swept like a tornado. But what joy may be ours when we walk in obedience to God. When we see the power of Christ in our marriages. For the husband who exercises his headship in the sensitive self-denying love 
with which Christ loved his church, and the wife who lives in godly submission to her husband find joys beyond measure. For God will so build the house that we may taste the mystery of the glorious relationship between Christ and the church. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to Thee for Thy Word. That Word which corrects us, which admonishes us, which strengthens us as we look to the wonder of Thy grace revealed in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, continue to speak to us by Thy Word and Spirit, strengthening our faith, establishing us in a godly walk of life to Thy name's honor and glory, and for Jesus' sake, amen.